so let's get our Bibles. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I was asked, talking to the Lord um, yesterday and just asking him kind of what's on his mind for the church. I wrote it down. I forgot to bring it here. But one of the, one of the things is, that has been a theme that I've been hearing from the Lord regularly is this idea of get ready, prepare. Prepare myself, my family, our church just for what the season ahead is going to bring. And I mentioned this to, um, to a couple of you um, that the Lord impressed on me about two weeks ago in prayer that, that, that we're moving into the time of a, of a great falling away in the church where we're going to see more and more people just abandoning the faith. Uh, people that we love, people that we know, leaders that we follow, we subscribe and we read their books. We're going to see more and more of what, um, what the Bible calls the great, the great apostasy, the great falling away of the faith. And the Lord, is just, he's, he's, he's told me that there's a spirit of slumber and a spirit of delusion that's being released upon the world. Um, and the Lord is calling his church to be vigilant, to be prepared, to be sober-minded for this season ahead because the spirit of delusion will be so profound that many will just simply walk away from the faith. They'll just be lulled to sleep by the, by the spirit of the age. Um, and, and, and we've seen that increasing many um, just key leaders, key Christian authors and speakers and leaders and people that I know and love and have read and followed in the last 10 years have just, the term is deconstructed, deconverted. Um, they've questioned their faith and they've found it lacking and they've said no to that and they've gone on to other things that they find are more fulfilling. And the Lord says it's only going to increase. And, um, and the Lord says that the answer to that is to, is, to, is to be filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit unless we are full of the oil of the Holy Spirit, that we will not be prepared to survive that coming time. So, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a weight to that. There's an urgency to that. There's a joy to that as well, though. There's a joy just to knowing that the Lord, what the Lord has called us to, he, is, he has prepared us for. That the, whatever is ahead, he has the preparation for that. Now, I, I want to speak to that um, in our, this morning, I want just an encouraging word to you from Second Peter. You have your Bible, Second Peter chapter one. Let me give you a little bit of a background to this as we get going. Um, Peter is he's uh, he's very concerned with the church. He is one of the apostolic leaders of the early church. He is not like Paul. Paul, of course, was a you know a traveling church planter. He would go to different cities and plant. To our knowledge, Peter never did those things. Peter was largely based there in Jerusalem, but he had tremendous authority and tremendous influence. He was considered probably the leader of the church, the apostolic father of the church. So he had obviously many, um, many prophetic things to say to the churches there in that part of the world. And he writes two letters at two different times. We call it First Peter and Second Peter there. Um, and he writes two letters to them, just encouraging them, exhorting them in the faith. In the first letter, he warns about the coming persecution from the outside, this exterior persecution coming in. He tells them, don't be surprised when these things happen. Don't be surprised when you're persecuted from your, by your faith. Um, he reminds them that this is to be expected. It's actually a good thing. Um, your faith is being refined by fire like gold and will bring honor to God. It says, he says, rejoice if you're persecuted, says Peter. 
So the church, you know, in, 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 in Europe and in, in, in that part of Asia Minor, they would read these from their father Peter and they would just take courage in themselves because, you know, they know that this is, um, this is to be expected. Second Peter is a little bit of a, he addresses a different kind of threat. He doesn't, he doesn't address external persecutions. He's addressing some problems that are sort of threats from within, um, namely false teaching. And he's addressing a, 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 something that today we call um, hypergrace. That's what Chuck often uses that term, hypergrace, if you've had a conversation with him. And it's this idea that because we are saved by grace, um, that we are free from the law, and we can live any way we please. That's what hypergrace is. That I'm not bound by the law. I'm not bound by all the thou shall nots and all the do nots and all those things. That's the, that's the old. That's the dead. I'm saved by grace. Nothing I do is going to save me. Therefore, I have full liberty to live any way that I want. God's forgiven me now. He's forgiven me tomorrow. My forgiveness is bought with the blood of Christ. Therefore, I can honestly do kind of live however I want. They may, not, that's, they may not express it that way, but that's the implication of that. And Peter's writing, um, and he's writing to a church that the, the outcome of that kind of mindset is incredible corruption and incredible immorality. He's writing to churches that, that, are, that are seeing the manifestation of this false gospel of grace manifesting itself with tremendous corruption and immorality. And Peter's going to write to them. He say, listen, I want, to, I want to address this. He says, you are elect and called. He uses those terms. You are elect. You're, you're chosen by God. You are elect. God has chosen you for a certain. You're called to him. But he says this, make, sure, make your election and calling secure by the way that you live your lives. Make your election and calling sure by the way you live. And then in this first chapter, and this is where we're going to sort of spend a few minutes. He says, you have everything... You have more than enough. You have everything you need to live this kind of life. He said, you've not been saved to live any way that you please. You have not been saved to live any way that you please. You've been saved by God to live in a particular way, a life that's honoring to God, says Peter. So he begins his letter with some of these encouraging words, everything you need to live. I want to read it to you here um, because I. This is this is one of those Verses and teachings that I think must be carved into our minds and our hearts in the season ahead. That the life that God calls us to, in the season ahead, he has provided the resources for what he wants us to do and how he wants us to be. So let's just read here in, in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So he's writing to, to this church, but by extension, he's writing to you and I because we are the offspring of this. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then he says this in the next two, next two verses, I want you to, to, to underline these. I love for you to memorize these. Let these be carved into your heart. He says this, verse three, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse four, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
That's a mouthful. We pray for us, though, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more this morning. So, Lord, we, we bless your name. We thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is truth, Lord. Your word is a double-edged sword. Lord, we give you permission to take that sword and cut into our hearts and our minds. To cut away, Lord, which, what doesn't belong there. To expose, God, false beliefs about you and the life you've called us to. Pray, for Lord, for a revelation of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, let me read it again. I want you to, I want you to watch for a word that's going to repeat itself at the beginning and the end, because it's a key word. You ready? His divine power is giving us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Anybody see the repeated word? Divine. That's a key word right there. I'd underline it if I were you. I'd put a big old highlighter on that because that's one of the keys to this here. And these are almost like these are two bookends. This is not human. God, Peter's framing this in a way of saying, look, everything that I'm about to tell you is not going to come about by human effort. The life that he has for you cannot come about by your own effort, by your own striving, by your own attaining, by your own self-discipline. Everything that, that I'm going to tell you, says Peter, is going to be bookended by this divine on one end. His divine power is going to bring about his divine nature. And that's basically the message right there. His divine power wants to bring about his divine nature in you. And that's the promise. That's the promise of the gospel. And the Greek word here is dunamis. It means it's, it's where we get our modern word dynamite. So like, you know, we just did the 4th of July, right? We were sort of, some of us went to, 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 to watch fireworks at places. And, you know, you would see these, uh, these, 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 if you went to like R.J. Corman's, they've got almost like this big flatbed truck with these monster mortars, you know, and they're just packed with gunpowder and chemicals and everything else, you know. You know, it's, that's, that's basically dynamite power, it's just packed in this little small thing. If you ignite that, it's just going to explode. It's going to like send things stratospheric into the air. You're going to hear this boom that's going to go for miles and miles and miles. That's the word power. That's where we get our word dynamite from. You know, when I was a kid, I used to, have, I used to love airplanes. And I remember one time I bought a toy rocket. You know, anybody ever have this little toy rocket, little kits you would buy? It's basically, it's a cardboard tube with a little plastic cone on it, some little fins on the side. You'd paint it. You know, if you pack a little parachute in there because it's supposed to like pop off and come down, you know. And, and I remember one time I bought this thing and I like put it together and I'm like, oh, what do I do now? You know, to kind of put on this little stand. I was like, what do I do? You know, what's this? But, you know, and my dad kind of looked at me and said, son, where's the engine? I was like, what are you talking about? Engine. He's like, son, didn't you read the instructions? This thing has got to have an engine. Sure enough, you've got to buy like this little thing that looks like a little fire and You've got to stick it up in there and ignite it. Boom. You know? And sure enough, as soon as I did that, I connected it all, went together. It's, it's, like, it's like, you know, that thing right there is ready to fly, but without power, it's not going anywhere. Without that explosive power, it's not going anywhere. And I think many in the church, often we feel this way, like God has called us to something great, but where's the power, you know? I'm a rocket, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to soar, but I don't have the power to do what I need to do. I don't have the power to like live the way that I want to live, and I don't have the power to be the kind of person that I want to be. 
to do the kind of things that I want to do. God's called us to great things, but I just feel like we can't get off the ground. You know, so power is a big word here. So he says this, his divine power has given us everything we need. And power, it's a major word in the gospels. You can't read through Jesus' ministry without seeing the word power. Let me give you some examples of this. The crowds were amazed at what? Jesus' power and authority. This guy's walking around. He's a nobody. He's a, no, he's a son of a carpenter from Nazareth. They know him. They know his family. But they see him and they're like, where in the world did this guy get this power? I've, you and I have seen people like that. We've seen ministers and, you know, evangelists like this and healers. And we're like, oh, where did you get this power, you know? Uh, and there's sort of people that can like lay hands on and they're healed in a moment. I was like, that's incredible. And the crowds witnessed that of Jesus. You know, and he, Jesus promises the same thing to you and I. What is his promise to us at the end of his ministry? He says, you will receive what? Dunamis. I'm going to give you dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want to give you something to ignite and charge your life that you didn't have before. It's almost like for so many of us, we've been having a little paper airplane, you know, cruise for about 20 or 30 feet. That's good. You know, that's, that's like, that's good stuff. But God says, I'm about to strap some rocket engines on the bottom of your little paper airplane. You're about to go farther than you've ever known before. You will receive dunamis. You're going to see dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Paul writes this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Paul uses this language too. Anytime incredible things happen in the Bible, it's because there's a supernatural power that's present. It's all over the place. Anything incredible that's going to happen in your life and my life is going to be the same way. There's going to be power present, divine power is present. So Peter's going to write and Peter's going to say, listen... You guys know all about power. His power is what saved you. His power is what raised Jesus from the dead. His power is what, what's come upon you. But his, his divine power is going to give you what you need for life and godliness. He wants us to know the life that we're called to live is not through our own strength. This is basic stuff, but we need to remind ourselves of this. that the, the, the life that we're called to live in this season, church, is not through self-strength because we don't have it. We are paper airplanes and a rocket engine kind of a culture. So he says this, his divine power has given us everything we need. I circle that word everything. That's important to me because I need to know, God, what have you given me? What do I have? And he says, I've given you everything you need. Everything you need for life and godliness. Those two terms have seemed to reflect both the inner life and the outer life. What is, li you know, what, is, what is the life and godliness? Think of those as the outer life that you live and the inner life that you live. Godliness is the inner life. That's, that's how I think, my attitudes, my ambitions, the thing in, in, the, in the quiet places of my life, the things that I meditate on, my responses in my heart. All of that is godliness. He says there's power for you to, 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 for, for life and godliness. And the life is, we've got the outside, how we treat one another, how we interact in the world, how we go about our business, how do we interact at work, at school, you know, on, on, in the playground, wherever it is, uh, both the, the outer life and the inner life, Peter says, you have dunamis to live the kind of life and to have the kind of godliness that God wants you to have. You've got it already, says Paul. You remember, the, there's a movie called Castaway with Tom Hanks. It came out, what, 12, 15 years ago. And if you haven't seen the movie, I'll give you a 30-second synopsis. Tom Hanks plays a FedEx 
pilot flying a cargo full of FedEx packages, and he, the plane crashes in the ocean. He is stranded on an island all by himself. He's deserted, cast away on an island. He rips open some of the boxes that have drifted ashore to kind of, you know, make, uh, you know, make use of some of the tools in there. He finds a, a, an ice skate, uses it as an axe, and he survives for a number of years out here all alone on this island. But there's one FedEx box that he can't bring himself to open because it, 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 it reminds him of his purpose to get back home to deliver that box. He's a FedEx person. He's going to deliver this box. He's not going to touch it. Whatever's inside is meant for, 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 for that address. And I want to get it there. I want to survive on this island so I can go. And it goes on. And it's a really good movie. In, in, in the Super Bowl, after that movie came out, there was a spoof of that movie that came out. I don't know if you remember this. this I've got it on video somewhere. It's so funny. It's a spoof of this movie. And in the, in the commercial, I don't even remember what the, what the product was. Who knows? In the commercial, we see the Tom Hanks-like character who has now survived, who has now made his way back home with his long, scraggly, castaway beard and the beat-up box in his hand going up to someone's house, and he checks the address. Yes, that's the address. It's right here. And he knocks on the door, and this, you know, this young woman answers the door, and she looks at him like, who are you? And the music is beginning to play, and, and, the, and, and the Tom Hanks kind of character begins to explain, I've been deserted on an island for all these years, and the only thing that kept me alive was the, 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 the desire to bring this package to you, so here you go. I did my job. I delivered this to you. And the woman is just astonished. She's just, well, just you know, thank you. I, I, I don't even know what to say. And she's about to close the door and, 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 and Tom Hanks' guy says, well, listen, I'm just really curious. I've had this box for so Can you just tell me what's inside of the box? And she's like, well, you know, and she begins to open up the box. She says, nothing really important. I mean, there's a satellite phone. There's a water purifier. There's a fishing line. There's Everything he needed to survive is in that box, and he left it unopened. And I wonder if so many of us, God has given us this box of what we need for survival in this time, and we almost like we don't want to open it up. We live as if we don't have the tools that are needed. I'm talking to myself, how many times do I just sort of carry this around without even touching the tools that God's given us? And he says, I've given you everything you need. I want to give you four of these real quick. I used to have three, but it added a fourth one in. I want to give you four of these uh, key tools. We cannot live the life that God wants us to live without these. I promise you. We cannot do it. God's given us everything we need. I want to give you four. First thing he's given us is his word. This. He has given us this. This is essential to live the kind of life that he's wanted us to live. The truth and the revelation and the life that is in here. For 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is it. Man, this is an incredible toolbox right here. It's got what we need right here. We've got to become more and more and more in the season ahead. We have to become people of the word. We've got to internalize this. We've got to live by this. We've got to make this a reality. We've got to feed upon this day after day after day. He's given us this tool. This will prepare us for the life that he has for us. That's the first thing. I want to add to that prayer. Prayer is the second one. 
I'm more and more convinced that prayer is, 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 is a missing toolkit that we just have not engaged in. And I'll be the first to admit that, that for many, 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 many years, I would just find prayer boring. Anybody there? Anybody want to admit, yeah, it's kind of boring. You know, it's kind of there, kind of like talking up there to God, and hopefully he hears me, you know. I think that the Lord wants to help us rediscover the joy of communion in prayer, of two-sided prayer, of speaking to God and having him speak back to us. You know, that's how prayer is meant to be. Prayer is meant to be the language of communion, the language of intimacy. And I'm, I feel like after 45, 46 years old now, and walked with the Lord for 32 of those years. I feel like I'm only just now beginning to scratch the surface of the power of prayer in my own life. Of learning to quiet myself and listen. Learning to listen and having the Lord speak to me things. I didn't know that for the longest time, that God would actually speak things to my own heart. I always thought that the Lord would only simply speak through his word, which is good, he does. It's primarily how he speaks. But also this idea that God can speak things to me into my heart. It was life-changing when he began to do that. And that's going to become more and more... Um, yeah, that's right. Discovering daily time in prayer with the Lord. And I'll, I'll, let, me, let me also modify that. Discovering joyful, sustained prayer. Prayer is hard to sustain if it's not joyful. But the Lord wants to give us a prayer life that is full of joy and power. He wants to teach us that. He wants to draw us into that every day. We just find ourselves communing with God. That's, 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 a, that's a, a tool that, we're, that, that so many in the church just never take advantage of. But it was, a, it was essential for Jesus. I talk about this all the time. How many times in Jesus' ministry did he leave ministry to get away with the Father? Quite often. He's given us the word, he's given us tool, uh, prayer. He's given us the body, he's given us one another. Y'all are awesome tools in my toolkit, you know that? God has given you to me to help me live a godly life. God has given you to me as an essential tool to help me become who he wants me to be. Romans 12, chapter 4, or chapter 12, verse 4 says, Let just as each of us has one body with many members, I got arms, I got legs, all toes, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You know what that means? That means I am essential to you. And you are essential to me. I belong to you. You belong to me, according to the word of God. That means you cannot fulfill God's life for you apart from thriving in community. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And listen to this line, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is in capital D. You know what the day is? 
That's the day of the Lord. That's the Matthew 24 day of the Lord. That's the Thessalonians day of the Lord. That's the end of all days, the capital D day of the Lord. And Paul, and, and Paul is saying, listen, as that day gets closer on, it is all the more important that you don't quit connecting with one another in real community. It is imperative that you do that. Ever watch those Discovery TV shows, you know, like on National Geographic, and you got like the big sweeping camera view of the, the, the caribou that are just thousands of caribou making their way across the, whatever, the frozen tundra. You ever see those shows? You know, and the camera inevitably kind of pulls in and zooms in and it zeroes in on what? Some of the stragglers in the back. It's always the stragglers in the back that get caught by the wolves. It's never the ones that are in the middle of the herd. And the, the enemy wants to isolate us from our herd <laughs> and pick us off. And Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't give up connecting with one another. It's going to be essential in the season to come that we stay. So he's given us the body. He's given us you and I together. He's given us these tools. Last one is ultimately he's given us his Holy Spirit. That's the tool, capital T. That's it. That's the big one that we need. He's given us himself. John 14, Jesus says this, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to send to you, says Jesus, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You know, these, these disciples, they're, they're, str they're, they're stressed and they're, they're worrying about Jesus is about to go. You know, they're around this table with him. He's already prophesied that he's going to be crucified. He's going to go on. He's, he's already telling him, get ready because I'm not going to be with you very long. And they're, they're worried. They're, they're, they're fearful. We know this. We know that they're going to soon be scattered. We know that even as they're praying in the garden, that they're so, they're so sorrow sick that they actually fall asleep from sorrow. And Jesus says, listen, I promise you, I'm going to go, but the Father's going to send someone that's, that's, that's even more essential for this part of life right now. And this spirit is going gonna, is gonna to remind you of everything that I see. You don't have to worry about writing every little thing down. The spirit of God is going to be the one who's going to connect you to me in a greater way than you've ever known. That's the same thing for us too. We must be full of the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest tool that he's given us is the presence of the spirit of Christ inside of us. If you don't have that, that's a reality that God wants for you. It's not just an extra thing for the crazy, you know, hyper charismatic, whatever ones. It's, it's what for every believer. It's what he wants us to have. Whatever we need, God has given us to us. So he says this, his divine power, dynamite, has given us everything we need. I've just listed four of those, there's probably more. Everything we need for life and godliness. Let's look at the rest of that verse. Through our knowledge of him who called us. Knowledge for the ancient Jew was never an intellectual thing. We've, in, in, in our Western culture, we've made it an intellectual thing. How many of you know what seven times seven is? Good, because I don't. What is it? 40, 49, okay. How many of you know the... Um, the, 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 I'm thinking of something, I'm not even smart enough to even think of hypotheticals. Oh, man. Knowledge, and, and yeah, and we just, we've made knowledge to be these, these intellectual things that we have filed away in our minds. 
chemistry and biology and mathematics and history. You know, I know that uh, the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th, 1776, I think. But knowledge for the ancient Jew was not an intellectual thing. It was always an experiential thing. And the first time it's used in the Old Testament, knowledge is used to describe Adam's relationship with his wife, his sexual relationship with his wife. Hebrew word is yada, Adam yada, Adam knew his wife. It's always this this encounter of intimacy. So when we talk about the knowledge of God, that's what we're talking about. More than just, oh, I know some facts about God. I know theology. I know doctrinal statements about, no, 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 no. To know something is to encounter it. Let me quote another movie, Jurassic Park, the the first Jurassic Park, not all the new ones, the old school ones. There's a moment in the movie Jurassic Park where Alan Grant, he's the world famous paleontologist played by, I don't know who's played by somebody. (laughs) He's devoted his life to the study of these ancient creatures. He's looked at fossils, he's looked at bones, he's looked at, you know, all these archaeological records, paleontological records, and he knows, he is the foremost expert on these dinosaurs. In the movie, though, there's this scene where Dr. Grant comes face to face with living dinosaurs. And Dr. Grant just falls to his knees, awestruck. The reason's obvious. It's one thing to piece together this sort of informed but imperfect image of dinosaurs based on your study and based on the fossil records and bones and all these things. It's something else to actually encounter an actual one. I feel that many, many, for many people, that's what spirituality, that's what religion is. We kind of pick through, you know, these artifacts of the faith that survived from so long ago, you know. And in an era a long time ago, people in this book, they actually encountered God. They had radical encounters with him. They fell to their faces because they were awestruck and dumbstruck. And every time God showed up, he'd have to say things like, don't be afraid, it's okay, don't be afraid, stop, don't be afraid. Everywhere he shows up, don't be afraid. You know, and I think we've sort of forgotten that God is someone who is real, someone who wants to reveal himself in power. God wants to show up in power and become more than just doctrinal statements or religious statements or religious ideas. God wants to be more real to you than anything you've ever known. Consider some verses in light of this. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what what life is. That's what life is. Life is about knowing God intimately. Philippians 3, Paul says, yet I count all things lost, all things are wasted, compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. 2 Peter chapter 1, grace and peace, we just read this. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord.
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Verse four, through these he has given you his very great and precious promises. What are God's promises? Himself, his presence, his goodness, his salvation. So that through them, you may, you may participate in the divine nature. This is, uh, I, I, f- I feel like, Okay, so sometimes my son likes to go out in my yard and dig holes. Zach, he's a lot like you. He loves rocks, man. He's convinced that there's gemstones and treasures to be found in our little driveway hill yard. He's right, we're riding along yesterday. He's, Dad, Dad, what kind of gemstones do you think are out there in, in our driveway? It's like, son, there's nothing out there but, you know, limestone. But he's got his little book that his grandfather gave him. He's like, what do you think, Dad? Do you think that's in there? He's like, son, that's amethyst. I don't think we're going to find that in our driveway. What about gold there? Do you think there's gold out there? Son, I don't think there's gold there. But he, sure enough, he'll go out there and he'll take his hammer and he'll just like cracking stuff up. He's like a little convict in the depression area, just cracking rocks, breaking stuff up. And he'll come in, he'll find one that's like a little shiny, you know, like a little shiny thing. Dad, is this a, is this a, is this a crystal? It's like, yep, son, that's a crystal of some kind. Ask Zach about it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm just wait. One day the kid's gonna come in with like something that's gonna blow it. He's one day he's just gonna crack a rock open. Inside's gonna be like this brilliant red ruby, and it's just gonna blow his mind, right? I feel like when I read through Second Peter, I'm like I'm kind of hammering my way through these things. Yeah, I know what divine power is. I get that. Yes, I know what the knowledge of God is. I get that. All of a sudden, I feel like that with one with one more sentence, I'm about to find something that's just gonna blow my mind wide open because I've never seen this before. This is going to be like, this is going to be a ruby right here in the middle of gravel. You ready for this? The whole point of all of this, God's power, the knowledge of God, his promises, all the tools that we have, they all lead to one thing. And it's this right here. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. And all of a sudden, with like one blow of the hammer, all of a sudden I see something that I've never seen before. I'm like, wait, 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 what? Peter, Peter, what are you saying to me? And let's unpack that word. To participate in means to share in. That Greek word is koinonia. You guys have heard that koinonia word thrown around a lot in Christian circles. You know, back in the 80s, it was 90s, it was popular to name churches koinonia fellowship, you know? It's kind of, it describes what, what you and I have right here in a small way. We have fellowship with one another. I get to share your life, you get to share my life, and we are together, we are partners in this. We're participating with one another. That's what Quentin means in Paul and Peter's writing something. He says, You're because of all of this, you get to you get to have partnership with God's own divine nature. That I'm throwing a lot of Greek at you. I usually don't do this because I'm really not that smart, you know. But some of these things matter. And when he says divine nature, he's referring 
almost to a separate kind of species. I have a particular nature. I am homo sapiens. I'm a human being. My dog is not a human being. He is a what? Canis something or another. Canis lupus. That's his species, right? He's a dog. Now, we have some similarities. We both have legs. We both have two eyes. Both have a mouth. We both eat food. You know, we both have hair on our bodies. He has more than I do. But we're two separate species. I have my nature, and he has his. Can you, can you, can you, can you understand how absurd it is for one species to share in the life of another species? My dog will always be a dog. Despite what Megan thinks, he's not a human being. Despite how smart he is, he's a dog. We are human beings. We will never be God. God is God. God is everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no limit. He is where he wants to be. He knows what he wants to know. He is incomparable and infallible. He is a species like no other. There is no other. He is the only representative of his species. We don't even begin to understand that, but God somehow in the mystery of salvation says, you, homo sapiens, I want you to come up here and actually participate in the God life that I have within myself. And my head's already hurting, church, by just saying those words. I don't even know what that means. But the word says that he has given us all of these things so that we can share in his own divine nature. That means God just doesn't want to save us and keep us way out there. He doesn't just punch, give us a ticket and say, here, you get to go to heaven one day. Try not to be, try not to be bad. You know, one day you get to go up to heaven. You're going to get a harp. You get to float on a cloud and play harp music. What have we made it into? And God says, no, 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 no. What I want is for you and I to be so, so, so absorbed together that we're almost sharing the same kind of life. You ever, you ever see, okay, here's, an, here, here's a very weak analogy. I'll give you two weak analogies. Watch my time too. A weak analogy is, 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 is when, 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 when Megan was great with child with little Lottie right here. Lottie was in her belly. Do you remember being in mama's belly? She was growing inside of there. Lottie had her own personhood. She had her own mind, her own personality that would one day be developed. She had her own DNA her own little systems that was growing with each day. She was distinct, yet sharing in the life of her mother. A weak analogy, I know. Here's another one. Ever been camping and had a campfire? And the campfire sort of at the end of the night, after it had roared up high and burned, and the wood had become coals, and the coals were just red hot. You ever looked at one of those coals? You ever picked one up with some tongs and looked at it? The cool thing about this is it's almost impossible to know 
where the coal ends and the fire begins. Which of this is fire and which of this is charcoal? Because they're so mingled together. God wants us to so co-mingle with him that we are distinct yet inseparable. God says, I want you to come in and to be a part of my own life. And that's the power of the cross. Here's how that's possible. It's through the incarnation of Jesus. When Jesus took on humanity, took on flesh and blood, he never took that off. Do you realize that? When he ascended at the end of his ministry, after his resurrection, he ascended back into heaven. He was a human being ascending to be with the Father. And right now, somehow, outside of time and space, there is a human man who belongs to the triune God. And because of our alliance with Christ through the death and resurrection of him, we now have a place in the triune life. Not on the outside, but intimately part of that. We're as close to the Father as Jesus is to the Father. And Paul says, or Peter says, his divine power has given you everything you need so that you can share in this life. Second Corinthians 3, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. You are being made like Christ more and more every day. I see it in you. Church, you are. You're being transformed into his likeness. You may not see it, but little by little, you are becoming a different kind of individual. You're, the, the, the species of God is becoming more and more inside of you. You're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing ever glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, worship team, come on up. My, my heart, my heart is we must take this to heart. We must take this to heart. We must embed this in our DNA in the season to come. That the things that he's called us to do and to be are possible here and now. His power is possible here and now. It's available here and now. Let me close with a story. Have you heard of a guy named Rick Hoyt? Anybody heard of a guy named Rick Hoyt? Rick loves marathons. He's run over 60 marathons. He's done 25 Boston marathons he's participated in. He has, he has participated in the Ironman triathlon several times. The Ironman triathlon is 26-mile run, 112 miles bicycling, and a two-and-a-half-mile swim. He's, Rick has done that a number of times, the Ironman triathlon. He has climbed mountains, and he has trekked 3,700 miles across America. It's pretty remarkable for someone who can't walk. He's completely paralyzed in a wheelchair. Rick has cerebral palsy. 
Early on in his life, the doctor said he'd never be able to communicate, but his dad found a way. His dad's name is Dick. His dad found a way for him to communicate by moving his head. This is back in the 70s or so. Early on, when Rick was a young man in his wheelchair, Rick wanted to participate in a benefit run for an injured friend. He said, Dad, really, I want to help. Can I help do this run? Dick's like, well, son, obviously it's kind of impossible. You, you can't move. But what happened is that Dick said, all right, son, I'll do it with you. Let's go. I'll push you in your wheelchair. Let's do this together. They did the benefit run. Five years later, Rick says, Dad, what about this marathon? Can we try this marathon together? Dick's like, okay, well, it's 26 miles. Think we can do it? Let's do it. Did his first marathon. Four years later, did his first triathlon. Dick, Papa, the father, had to learn how to swim, never swam before. He built a modified bike and a boat for his son, Rick. In this triathlon, they came in next to last. 1999, they did the Ironman triathlon. Son Rick was 37, dad was 59. Someone asked him, why don't you try it yourself? Dick, listen, you've been doing this. You've been working with your son. You've been pushing. Why don't you do this? Why don't you just, you can do it for yourself. He says, no way. I do this for my son. I tell you, there's something about that story that moves me like nothing else because this is a picture of how our heavenly father is with us. He has the power and the resources and the heart to see us to the finish line. He does. He's got everything we need to get us to the finish line. Y'all, we can't even move without him. More than anything else, he wants to bring us into his very life. Let's stand together. I want to pray this for you. Let me just give you an invitation too. If you need, if you need divine power, this morning, it is there for the asking and there for the receiving. It's available to you. If you feel like your power is diminished, that you're just done and tired, don't give up. Press in. Ask the Lord for more of that. 